The Book Thingo podcast is a lively discussion about romance books, culture, and boy bands. And Trinidad joins us for episode 63, recorded in Sydney. Book Thingo would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which this episode was recorded, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We also acknowledge the contributions of Australia's Indigenous people to our shared literary heritage. Welcome to the Book Thingo podcast, talking about books we love, especially romance, kill a fairy Welcome to the Book Thingo podcast. I'm Gabby from bookthingo.com.au, an Aussie blog for romance readers. Having finally managed to oust Cat Mayo from the podcast, I've decided to bring you a topic she knows absolutely nothing about, Larry Stylinson fan fiction. Basically, it's fan fiction about Harry Styles and Louis Tomlinson from One Direction. Our guest today is Anne Trinidad, academic and Larry aficionado. I caught up with Anne during the IASPA conference in Sydney and we talk fan fiction, masculinity, slash, and K-pop. And I guess we let Kat come along for the ride. And just a quick reminder to use hashtag BTPod in your live tweets. I just think saying that you do not know much is like a little generous. <laughs> like you don't know anything. You really oh, stumbled no. over the Larry Stylins and this is the third time she's said it. So she had to really practice. Listen, I was one of the few people who even knew Wattpad in that mm, conference. Yeah. So I feel like I'm one of the young ones. You are. Okay, fine. That, that gives you entry. So Anne, tell us a little bit about your paper and some of your findings about this fandom. Okay, so in my paper, I focused on the Filipino Larry Stylinson fans. Well, they're part of the international community. So there are practices which they engage themselves in. But what's particular about this community is on how they try to depict the pair so as it would be the source of their kilig. So basically, kilig is a Filipino term which encapsulates the feeling of romance coming from the outside. So it's possible to experience kilig even if you're not part of the romantic relationship. So you get to see it, you get to feel it, even if you're just an observer of the couple. And I guess that's what Larry Stylins and fans get from the pair, from observing their interactions, even how platonic they are. When I was following the live tweets for your paper, yeah, I was yeah. absolutely thrilled to see a word that does encapsulate what I feel. Like, I, yes, I think yes. that I do get it. Obviously, I don't speak. Yes. yes Is it a Tagalog term? It's a Tagalog term. Okay, so I don't speak Tagalog, mm-hmm. so I don't understand it in its true form. Mm-hmm. But I feel like the way you say it, it's like we have words that attempt to follow that like as fans in fandoms you have the squee like yes do you know like when you squee it's that it's yes it's you feeling the mm-hmm. killing i feel mm-hmm. i think there's a new thing we'll talk about the connection between. we that. also have the asd i don't memorize the keyboard oh the keyboard yeah, smash. yeah 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 the keyboard yeah, smash yeah, yeah. <laughs> the keyboard smash which is i think unique to every person but there is a standardized one as yeah, yeah. well that just represents this feeling of feeling too much yes yes oh, that's right. so amazing i get to edit my squee, even though i'm just smashing the keyboard like, yeah this doesn't look like killing at all so i'm yeah, backspace and do another <laughs> to fully, to yes. fully show the yes. experience. <laughs> yeah. How did you come up with this topic? I started that as a, as a fan 
rather than an academic. So what happened was I was in my summer job. So I was supposedly doing mm, job things, right? <laughs> Encoding. But then I got so bored. So I started to open up a Twitter account. And then I don't know what to do about it. And then I've seen threads. And then one of it was Harry and Louis. I was a directioner already back then. So I was like, hmm, I know these people. I should yeah. trend and look um, how it goes. And then that's where it started to dawn upon me that, oh, why are they talking about Harry and Louis only and not the rest of the group? What did they do? Are they dead? It was the opposite. They were living their best lives. <laughs> <laughs> that's so interesting. That's so such yeah, a there. different way to uh-huh. come to the fandom. I know that it was Larry that actually drew me to One Direction. Oh, really? So I, because of Larry. Because I just believed in their love. Mm. But I guess I stayed because of them. Yeah, yeah. I think that's, that's the mm-hmm. thing. How did you feel when... It all started to crumble, though. Uh, I know you spoke about in your paper this idea of this private fan space spilling over into the public arena. Uh, yeah, the Graham Norton Yeah, how they read the, mm-hmm. the fanfic out to the people. And I mm-hmm. just felt like, no, that's, that's the wrong thing. Like, where were you at that time and how did you feel about this kind of shift? The shift from their friendship to yeah. what I've called the management thwarting upon their love. It's challenging for me as a Larry. But as an academic, I guess that's where the interesting part comes in because I get to see how these fans try to create and recreate and gather things even from the most various spaces just so they could establish and continue to establish what they believe in. The creative part of the fandom would be challenged and at the same time encouraged by those kinds of events. So I think there's a slight confusion because when I live tweeted, I said... It reminds me of the Graham Norton fan fanfic and fan art that they sort of call out on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but we can talk about that on how, um, like, how much of what's created in fandom is expected to remain sort of within fandom mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. not spill out into other media and also even to the point where the band themselves are yeah. aware of it. Okay. Well, we should start with After. Are you familiar with After? Anna Todd. I think that's the very first One Direction fan fiction that was recognized by the outside One Direction. It was legitimized when it was published as well. It was legitimized, and then there's an upcoming movie about it. So the Larry fandom would want another version, of course, because this after fanfic focuses on heterosexual romance between Tessa, I think. Yeah, I think Tessa and. Harry Styles. So what the Larry sub fandom did was they created their own after fan fiction, and it's still there in Wattpad. But on the other hand, we also have um, Escapade by Dolce Picante. It's originally a Larry Styles and fan fiction, similar to After. It got published as well by Dream Spinner Press. I'm not quite sure if it's 2013 or 2015. But you can see the discrepancy between these fan fictions that got entered the more popular audience just because they were published. So on the other hand, we have Escapade, which is somehow a gay fan fiction, male to male, that doesn't seem to be at par with how after was 
um, accepted by the majority of the fandom yeah, as well. Yeah, it's like after the safer option. Yes. But I think the interesting question is, is like I, I have friends, I've been shipping for a really long time, yes, and I have friends yes. who are really uncomfortable with the idea of real life shipping. They think it's kind of not super acceptable they think it's morally ambiguous whereas i'm like as long as it stays in fan space Mm -hmm. as long as it kind of is only for that fandom which it should be it shouldn't really when you have that third party coming in and Mm -hmm. choosing to take something that's sacred and dragging other people who don't get it who think it's something to laugh at that's when i think the mess starts Mm -hmm. how do you feel about this idea of of shipping really real people for me, I haven't really had the chance to explore other types of shipping. So this is my first immersive experience when it comes to shipping. So I started out with real person slash and real person fiction. Well, at some point, they could be disrespectful to the artist as well, especially now that the boys are onto their solo careers. And when these stuff gets to be mixed up with their music, with their new image, it somehow transgresses the boundary a fan should take. Because as a fan, I believe that we should also have a responsibility over what we say and what we do. But on the other hand, we're also fans. So we can't quite control our feelings and our emotions over the matters that for us is quite true. So this is a nice segue into the Larry Hug. Describe to us the context of the Larry Hug Mm -hmm. and then the consequences of the Larry Hug. (laughs) Okay, so it was their last show for the last On the Road Again tour, so shortened as the Ocha tour. And then, like what majority would expect, of course, these boy band members would miss each other because of the hiatus and all those things about them breaking up, splitting up, or just taking a break. Something like that. So it just it just naturally happened for these boys to hug each other on stage just because it's the final song of the final tour. Interestingly, it was Larry who hugged last. Of course, the different boys hugged as well during the latter part of the concert. But it was the Larry hug which garnered majority of the screams and squeals and all of those things. Because it had been such an extended period of their fraught relationship. Yes, it was, yes. When they first started, they were so open with each other and yeah, so yeah, comfortable with mm-hmm, each other. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, I'm going to use a Korean popular culture term, but skinship. Skinship was just so easy with them. Mm-hmm. They would hold each other's hands yes. under tables. Like it was it so was beautiful. As well. But then all of this Larry stuff started to make its way into the interviews and it just froze them. And they responded differently, I felt. I felt like Louis yeah. responded a lot. Um, more with f- anger. Yeah, yeah. And Harry. Harry mm-hmm. was kind of a little bit more playful with it. Yeah. And I think that is so interesting now considering mm-hmm. how he's come out and he doesn't define his sexuality. Yeah, yes. Louis just freaking out and freezing. Yes, that's right. And then having this one moment. Yes, after, for the fans. Mm-hmm. After so After long. the drought season. <laughs> it was. It was a proper drought. Management. management ruined it. Management, everything. yeah. And then you mentioned in your paper that no matter what management tried to do to separate them mm-hmm. so that there would be no more fuel for the fandom narratives that it just the fandom just changed the narrative to Mm -hmm. suit the story basically that they wanted to tell i think that's where alternative universe comes in or AUs, simply because they don't have material 
to transform into a fan fiction, similar to the Larry Hug, which garnered lots of different um, takes or fan fiction from different fanfic writers. I believe these fans try to get material from lots of different things. Like even if it's not part of canon or we're in these boys are part of a boy band, they try to adapt and rewrite some existing stuff. So we have Tarzan fic. Yeah. We have You Got Mail fic. <laughs> what else? Coffee shop, coffee shop AUs. AU. They were my Football AU. Posh and Bex AU. College AU. Yes. Yeah. yeah. At the end of your paper, you talk about um, the shift between the homosexual fandom yeah. fantasy mm-hmm. to the heteronormative tropes used to construct yes. the narrative. So, so those are all big words for someone like me who's <laughs> not in academia. So maybe mm-hmm. if you can explain to us mm-hmm. um, what that shift is and also what you think it might mean. I started my paper on a lens expressing how fans somehow desire these two as a pair. So compared to the ordinary fans who quite like these boys individually and not as a pair. So for example, from the pair caring for one another will have, on the other hand, attention focused on Harry because he's the one who's doing the caring part of the relationship, something like that. So I guess from there, fans tend to ship their homoerotic gaze towards the pair to a heterosexual desire towards Harry only. So in that case, Louis somehow temporarily exits the, the scene, the narrative, because fans' attention are already focused on Harry being the caregiver or the protector, the savior. So those are also romantic tropes that gets to be developed in fan fiction. Yeah. I think that's where fan fiction as romance differs from romance fiction mm-hmm. because I think it's very, very rare for a reader to want to be with a hero or heroine themselves to lust yes. after or to... Mm-hmm. Or write themselves into that relationship. Mm-hmm. I think there is that kind of awareness and appreciation of one of the characters, but it's definitely yes. different in, in fandom when you are crushing on mm-hmm. someone yes, who yes, you want right. to crush on someone else yes. mm-hmm. as well at the same time. In which spaces does this fandom most conspicuously express itself? I should say Tumblr. Yeah. Most of the conspiracy theories root from Tumblr. And then because of screenshot and print screen... It transfers from one space to another. So it gets to be uploaded on Twitter, on Facebook. But mm-hmm. I think that as shipping has become a lot more mainstream or a lot more accepted by a wider group of people, yes. specifically slash fiction, mm-hmm. it has taken its way into Instagram yes. and to Twitter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah so mm-hmm. it's not these distinct spaces anymore. It's all of social media because young people are using all social media yes. platforms. all at once, yeah. If that's the case, how do you then put boundaries around the private space of fandom versus the public space? That is a hard mm-hmm. question because when you're publishing it, it is to be public it is to be shared but I also think that there are places on Twitter that even though it's public access you Mm -hmm. don't necessarily you can't necessarily find it yeah that's right um, unless you're following people Mm -hmm. you curate Mm -hmm. your feed to be in a certain way so unless you're going out and searching for these types of stories you're not you're not gonna start you're not gonna find them it's Mm -hmm. like referring to stan twitter yeah yeah yeah. I was supposed to say that (laughs) so there's this section of twitter it's just composed of fans 
And within Stan Twitter, you have different fandoms. Mm-hmm. So unless you follow each other, you don't get to see this type of content. So you would really have to immerse yourself within the fandom, within how their dynamics work. Well, left and right. And I think there is a respectful way of publishing content that is slash. I think you can talk about um, mm. your faves yeah. loving each other without violating who they are as people and taking yeah, away their agency right. as people. Mm-hmm. I think Larry kind of changed the whole scene. I think it gave rise to a whole new category of fan or just more of a mainstream slash shipper. Is there a hierarchy in the fandom? Yes, there is. Yeah. I think there are more um, valued sources of information mm-hmm. than others. Because yes, I yes. think when we're talking about management, I was struggling to find the thought, but it came to me later. Management as the villain, when that kind of story or narrative came around, it gave rise to a whole new swathe of conspiracy theories yes and the conspiracy theories i think were at a different level to what they were yeah that's right that's right it was like when louis had his baby they were (laughs) analyzing the photo of him holding his baby Mm -hmm. and saying that it had had been photoshopped there were a lot of people that were saying no that's ridiculous like it's his baby but stan twitter is stan twitter and things will get you can't just make them retract what they've just said from fan fiction to twitter it's different it's really different in fan fiction space, it's it's acceptable for me that you do whatever you would want. Because that's a dedicated be, yeah, space yes, because for fan that's, Yes, plus it's a story, it's fiction. So as a writer, you have the right to do whatever you would want to do with these characters. But when it comes to the stand Twitter space, that you're dealing with real people and not real people, people as your characters, that's quite... Right, so that's interesting to me that there's that um, conceptual separation, I guess. Yes, yes. Um, so then the we were talking about this before we started recording, mm-hmm. but one of the natural progressions from <laughs> Larry shipping to <laughs> is K-pop. K-pop. Yeah, I think the worlds are so similar but so different. I mm-hmm. think it, for me, going from being a Larry shipper to a K-pop fan was such a natural progression because – where management is the villain in Larry, One Direction yeah. and in Larry mm-hmm. in Larry's stories, management in K-pop, they're our heroes because really? they're the ones that manifest all of these scenarios. It's the variety shows that make them play the paper kiss game, that make oh, them play the pepper game not- where they have to <laughs> – they- get like a breadstick mm-hmm, and they bite mm-hmm. and bite and bite until there's like the smallest bit left. Oh, there are all God. of these moments. Like skinship is something that's talking mm-hmm. about touching each other and they use it so casually with each other. They are so physical with each other that you can't help but mm-hmm, ship them. But ship them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My favourite is the one where they pretend to be married. Like they pair up two oh. celebrities who <laughs> sometimes have never ever met each other mm-hmm. and then they have to do these like scenarios where they act like they're married or getting married. Not um, familiar with these. Oh, there's so much. (laughs) But in K-pop fandom, though, is it the K-pop members themselves, do they are aware that this is going to happen, right? I think there's more acceptance and it's, like, not unusual for this to happen. I think some of them really – I think they know what is going to happen. There is some – to some extent when they have to play the paper kiss game, they Mm -hmm. know what it looks like. Mm -hmm. They know how fans respond. But 
some of them do feel really uncomfortable with it. So some of them just mess up immediately and are just like, no, we're out. And then others get really into it and they're really cute about it. I think it comes back to how masculinity is in both cultures. Masculinity in Mm -hmm. the West is completely different to masculinity in Korea. You don't have those really strict gendered categories where you have to be hyper-masculine. You have to not have anything Mm -hmm. threaten your sexuality. There's almost something inherently homophobic about it because there's just this denial that homosexuality exists. Mm -hmm. So though they play with these kind of moments and this skinship, there's only a handful of openly gay Korean idols and they haven't had a really easy time of it. So they're not... They're not queer. These aren't Mm -hmm. queer Mm -hmm. spaces. They're not safe queer spaces, which is so upsetting. Mm -hmm. But at least you're not shamed for it by management. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's the difference. Plus also when it comes to marketing their music and music videos, you can't see how different boy bands from West and from South Korea is being depicted. So you have from the West boys who are in pants wearing white tops, but um, boy bands from South Korea, they're really colorful, colorful hair, colorful outfits. There's a new trend in K-pop, which I think, oh, maybe it's actually, no, it's, it's not new. It's always been around, but obviously being a new fan, it's just coming to my attention. Mm-hmm. There's this really subtle kinkiness and mm-hmm. often not so subtle kinkiness that's coming out in their clothes. So they they wear collars, yes, they wear yes, chokers, right. uh-huh, they wear uh-huh. harnesses, thigh mm-hmm. harnesses, chest harnesses. And for an industry which is pretty chaste, It's quite incredible to have this dichotomy of Mm -hmm. really kinky and sexy dancers and costumes, Mm -hmm. but then really, really sweet, innocent, in real life persona. But is that partly because the costume is largely performative in K-pop rather than, like, for example, in Mm -hmm. Western bands, Mm -hmm. your costume is supposed to convey your identity rather than be a costume. Yeah, definitely. And probably this idea of concepts. Each Every single comeback, they have a new concept. Yeah. So they're constantly changing, where I feel like with One Direction, it was often static in terms yeah. of how they mm-hmm, delivered their mm-hmm. music that was the same type of music, that's right, a very that's right. similar look. I think it was just Harry mm. who changed throughout the eras of One Direction. Yeah. This is why Harry is your favourite, hey, God. Yeah, like I love Harry. <laughs> Harry is so beautiful and comfortable with his sexuality. Yes, that that's, right, that's right. And Louis was my least favorite. Which really, which, yeah, he was my least favorite because mm-hmm. I think, but I think it started happening when I saw him become a lot more uncomfortable with Harry and yeah, freeze yeah, that's Harry right. out. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what right. I saw. Mm-hmm. And as a someone who shipped them to see someone like Louis freeze his best friend and that's his right. secret lover mm-hmm. out <laughs> was heartbreaking. It was mm-hmm. heartbreaking, and it just made me not like Louis anymore. Yeah. Well, that's the other point of view, perhaps, that I didn't quite foresee when I was doing my paper because I was really focused on management as a villain. So perhaps it was Louis being controlled by the management. So those are the other conspiracy theories. That's a different story. Yeah, that's a different story. (laughs) Um, So Anne, the Philippines also has fan culture. Yes, um, Generally in its local industry. Mm -hmm. Do you see this type of fandom happening with local artists? I don't think so. Because we have major majority of our fangirls are idolizing love teams. We have several love teams left and right from different television broadcasting companies. Yeah, I have my favorites. Yeah, Gabby's yeah, like, do I need to know about this? <laughs> what, is a, what is a love team? Oh, a love. Oh, yeah. It's a heterosexual pair. 
They're normally paired up in movies. So yes. if your chemistry is good in a movie, you'll be you'll, you'll be appear in real movies yeah. over and over again. So it's like those old Hollywood love. Yeah, Brangelina, something like that. Or like Doris yeah. Day and Rock Hudson. Yes, or, yes. Um, who's a who's a Meg Ryan Jim and Kelly. Tom. Mm-hmm. Tom Hanks. <laughs> well, they not anything other than you. Yeah, Gomez? that's a I love can't team. So we have quite a number of love teams in the Philippines. So I want to briefly talk about that just because I have like enough knowledge uh, go to ahead, actually go ask ahead. Question, but of not course. enough to actually know anything <laughs> about it. One thing I've observed is a lot of these love teams start when the actors are quite young. So yes. before they're 18. And it's really interesting because they will have a kissing scene where they don't actually kiss. Yes. So yes. like they'll, their heads will move together and then like a truck will go in front of them or mm-hmm. like the credits will that roll That would always be the case. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So there's is. three love teams that I've been following. Mm-hmm. Jadine, Daniel and, and Ms. Quen have yeah, all yeah. ended up in real life, in real life yeah, yeah, yeah. going together. Mm-hmm. Do you believe that they're actually going out together in real life? Well, there are lots of conspiracy <laughs> theories about them as well. <laughs> Especially from non-fans. Yeah, they're the ones who try to convince the fans that perhaps these couples are not in a relationship. Just because they are in a relationship on screen doesn't really necessarily mean that they would have to be an off-screen couple. And do you think that it's a similar dynamic where the fans feel like they're observers? Because I know that, for example, Nadine Lustre, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think she's a little bit darker skinned than yes, your... Yes, yes, um, that's right idealized celebrity and the comments I've heard was around Nadine sort of not being good enough for James yeah. whereas I'm like oh my God. mate he's not good enough for her so I don't know what you are talking about. I think that's where the colonial mindset of majority of people comes in especially Filipinos we love white-skinned actor and actresses yeah we prefer the American hunk type G.I. Joe level. Well, that's kind of that's why I find the K-pop fandom phenomenon interesting in the Philippines. I think that actually represents, though, a lot of uh, Western culture's interaction Mm -hmm. with Asian men and Asian popular culture. I think in America there was that thing about John Cho being a romantic comedy lead. People were calling for him to be a lead romantic hero in a a movie. And because it's just never happened before, we haven't had an Asian hero. But it's almost fetishizing it now. I think that's where we're at at the moment with young teenagers not understanding the difference between appreciation of different cultures and fetishizing it. Mm. And there's just that single-mindedness when it comes to only seeing these people, this culture, as your favorite K-pop idol. And it's a really offensive reduction. But I think the fact that we're getting a diversity of pop culture in Australia as opposed to just consuming American pop culture mm-hmm. I think is an incredible thing. It's showing us that America doesn't have to be the cultural force yes. that it has been That's it. and That's that right. there are other valid ways of telling stories and listening to music and all that kind of stuff. And just to finish up, I wanted to ask you what research you're working on at the moment. I haven't um, left the Larry Stylens and fandom yet. So I'm quite into discussing further on how certain dynamics occur within the specific sub-fandom. But I would like also to make my subject broader by exploring also different dynamics on how some of the practices are echoed from Larry Stylens and fandom to the bigger One Direction fandom. And then how it is rooted in the traditional or vernacular Filipino fan 
something like that. I should add that Anne is writing her thesis in Tagalog. Yes. <laughs> so A, yes, I, I cannot even <laughs> imagine, but B, also it's going to be hard for other people yeah, to read yeah. it. How am I going to read this? Like, Kat, are you volunteering to translate it for me? Thank you so much. Thank so you yes, for yeah. joining us on mm. the podcast. Thank you. That's all for this episode. Thanks to my co-conspirator slash audio producer, Rudy Bremer. You can find the show notes for episode 63 at bookthingo.com.au forward slash podcast. And if you enjoy the show, we'd love for you to leave us a review on iTunes or just tell a friend to check us out. In the next episode, Bookthingo will celebrate our third podversary. In the meantime, visit us at bookthingo.com.au and have a fabulous fortnight of reading.